Hi, everybody. I absolutely love what today's guest has to say. He's the author of an award-winning article called Global Madness, What Must Happen to Unite? And I think the reason this is so important right now, because we're bursting at the seams, I think people just can't take the pressure anymore. And he has a really unique view on what this means uh, to not only us, but to the mentally ill who live among us. So let's go to Dr. Fred Moss. Thank you so much for taking time on a Sunday. I know you're super busy uh, to be with us. And oh, so congratulations on that article. That yeah, was it was really great. It was, I, you know, I wrote the article. It was, you know, a lot of thought and energy went into it, but I absolutely didn't expect to win any awards. And so on uh, the idea that I won the editor's choice for the Conference for Global Transformation was really a thrill. It was in the lows where they uh, give away the Academy Awards. So there was 1,100 people there in the same exact room where the Academy Awards are given. And it's like, and the winner is Fred Moss. I was like, wow, thank you. So it was really, a, a, and of course, it turns out to be a, a, pretty, po a pretty powerful article and in, in some ways predicting the future as it was written before uh, before the world went into this uh, new stage of managing life. Let me ask you this really quickly before we go into it. Would you have written the article any differently today than you would have a couple of years ago after a, COVID? Just a fabulous question. And I, I you know, I think that um, we're still at the same space We're, you know, it's, it's not that different. When I've read the article before I sent it to you, I read it again <laughs> and the pertinence hasn't shifted very much. And the whole idea really even talked about the possibility of a pandemic not being enough. It actually talks about it in the article of an epidemic or a pandemic not being enough to unify the world. And that maybe, I don't even want to tip over the, uh, you know, the punchline here, but that maybe it would take even extra special invasion of some sort to put 7.8 people together, 7.8 billion people together in the same, you know, same pathway. Well, how prescient was that? I mean, you absolutely nailed it. Yeah. It only made us more divided. In fact, when you think something like that would bring us together, it made us even more divided. Exactly. And I mean, that's kind of the sorrow of the times. But first of all, before we get further into the article on this madness, this global madness, what what is your personal view? I mean, you really have a radical commitment to changing the way mental illness is handled and seen on this planet. Just give us a little background on you and why this is so critical and why you're such a warrior. Yeah, sure. I don't know about being a warrior, but I suppose so. Basically, um, you know, I, I, uh, I started into the world of mental health uh, a little bit more than 40 years ago, officially. And that was after dropping out of college and determining that I was never going to go back to college. I came home and told my mom, that's it. I, it was the second time I had dropped out and I was never going to do college. And she said I should get a job. So she got me an application and I started working in, um, in a state hospital for children, for adolescent children. And really what I saw there was I began to use what I already knew were the healing tools of connection, communication and conversation, even creativity, people being with people, listening really authentically and radically to what people are and who they're being as a way of managing all, all, like all, uh, you know, uh, dis-ease. 
when I saw the way doctors were managing this particular condition inside of the hospital, inside of the hospital setting, which was we would call them and we would have a complaint about a child and then they would order some medicine and we would hold the kids down and somehow give them those medicines. There was something that was so atrocious about that, that it had me finally galvanized enough to go back to school with the sole intent of becoming a psychiatrist and bringing communication, connection and creativity into that form of thinking. So that's what I did. Now, this, the funny thing, Meredith, and maybe not that funny, is while I was in medical school, it's when this particular drug that uh, I'm sure our viewers have heard about before called Prozac was introduced. And biological psychiatry got its birth while I was in medical school. So I eventually ended up being the actual, like I have medicated tens of thousands of people, even though what I really came in to do was do the opposite of that. So over the last several years, that's how that's gone. And now I've gotten to the point in the last 15 years or so of really getting what I've already known, which is that communication, connection, and creativity are truly at the source of all healing. And that medications and diagnoses really are designed to perpetuate the conditions they're marketed to treat. So because of that, I really had been able to ease myself out a little bit of the conventional narrative and begin to see people for who they are, like really begin. And if I had to say anything, it's almost like mm, there is no inherent, there is no inherent, I know that I want this to be heard properly. There is no inherent definition of what mental illness is. And so there's the possibility of being with each and every person, like being with each and every person, as if what they have to say is what they have to say from where they're saying it and respecting it for that and then getting that they are not mentally ill, they are human. And that's really the essence of the Welcome to Humanity brand that I now run. I love it. Okay, so we backtrack a little bit. Uh, you got in an argument with your partner and you started looking at what is the nature of why we do this division, why them and us. And then it goes on from there. So set that part up before we go into the bulk that really caught my attention of this article where you became not only intrigued, you admit in the article, as many people won't do, but but actually secretly feel that you you have a certain kind of envy for the people that we see singing and dancing and homeless in the street. Thank and there's you. a reason for that. So let's talk about, you got in a little argument and what did that, how did that spawn this amazing article? So I haven't spoken about that argument publicly, but it's kind of funny. It's uh, basically what happened is that Alexander, my present wife, and, and I love Alexander to the very end of the earth, which we were not married at the time. And, um, we had gotten to some spat in the morning and I just kind of, you know, it was growling. And then I went into the went into the bedroom and took out a, a little notepad and just started writing. And I just wrote this article, Global Madness, probably all the nuts and bolts of it, maybe 93% of it was written on this in the next hour or two. And, you know, it really was just coming from sort of the guts of like, when I get upset, or when we get upset, there's something very raw that ends up getting exposed at that time. And so there I was just kind of rawly dealing with the world that was as it was occurring to me. And there was an opportunity to just really write what's going on in this world. And maybe, you know, maybe it was predictive. Of course, it turned out to be almost deeply unfortunate in its predictive capacity. Um, but what we really got to was this idea that 
okay, let's look at the people outdoors who are called ill. Let's look at the people outdoors who are called, you know, homeless or called like defective or afflicted or mentally uh, deficient. What's really going on over there? And what's really going on over there is that they're generally a lot freer to be self-expressed without the rules and regulations that we have when we walk through life. We are very restrained and very constrained, and we think there's only a certain way to be. And if we're not that, we might have to get dropped off into, you know, into institutions or something like that. So we're always totally afraid of that. But if you're already starting from a space where there those rules, there's nowhere to fall down from, there's an opportunity to just be really genuine and really authentic. And that level of authentic genuineness is enviable. It just is. And there was, you know, I really got that there's some deep pleasure in just being able to scream if you want to scream or cry if you want to create cry or laugh if you want to laugh and simply walk through life with uh, open-ended capacity to express what's on one's mind. Beautifully stated. And you talked about how you would walk by them in your little suit and your little tie, you know, with your keys on you, making sure nobody takes your stuff, right? Yeah, right. And this button-down, protected way of living. And in you personally, understanding, because you've dealt with people who've been homeless, who've been labeled mentally, mentally ill for decades now, how did you feel in contrast to them on a feeling level? How did I feel in contrast to the people that were the people I've been dealing with over the last 30 years, you're saying? Yeah. No more the recent when you were talking about being in your suit and tie with your keys and passing people on the street that were homeless. How did that make you feel? I mean, the obvious observation you've already shared. How did you feel? Well, that's really interesting. So, you know, one of the things the other day we were in, out in front of a, um, a resident's home, you know, I suppose it was like a, it was like a a tra transient home, like people were there and they were sitting out on the porch and smoking cigarettes and sitting in the couches in a two-story building. And one of the things I really got and I always got, always got Meredith, is I'm just, I'm just like one quarter inch from being that. I'm like, I, I am, I, not only am I one quarter inch because of my envy for that crowd, I actually have lived in that crowd. I have been homeless before. I did collect food stamps. I do, did live in homeless shelters for a bit when I was coming out of, you know, when I dropped out of college and not so long after that in the Oakland, California area. So there's a very warm space in my heart for these people being my friends, my brothers, my, my pals, my, you know, my family. And um, so, and there's, mm, in some ways, because of the authenticity that arises from that population, there's like, hmm, maybe I should, maybe I could actually just go do that again. I mean, it's, you know, it's like uh, the opportunity that I have been, you know, so civilized and then given a very high degree from a really supreme university, Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois, and then had a really, you know, a practice that allowed me to meet and see 40,000 people over the next 40 years is all well and good. But the truth is we are all so close to being like each other that in a minute, as soon as we're ostracized, as soon as we're kicked off the island, as soon as our views are no longer accepted, the possibility of living in the streets or living afflicted or affected or different than the norm becomes there for all of us. And in fact, we're challenged with that right now. The idea that soon, if the other side wins, whatever that other side is, then it's real possible that we'll be considered ostracizable and then be, 
you know, and then be relegated to living a secondary life or something like just be random, just be on the same person. Yeah, exactly. And it's happening in the media all the time, making a point to create division among people. And as you say, we're at a very vulnerable point in history where so many people have been thrown off kilter because of isolation, because of uh, losing their jobs and maybe losing your home or your apartment once the subsidies ended and all that. This is not the theoretical anymore. This right. is facing millions more people globally than ever has in the past. Right. And what are you seeing by way of, for example, your own practice, your own meeting with people, are you seeing in mass a little bit more of a kind of coming unglued, unhinged from what we've called normal and reality? Well, when you just because you threw in that last clause, I will say yes. But if you wouldn't have thrown in that last clause, I wouldn't have. Because what we see as normal and reality is simply um, a construct. It's simply a conversational construct. We don't have a very good definition. We never have had a very good definition of either normal or reality. So the truth is, without those definitions, we it's kind of ludicrous. It's pretty uh, self-righteous, in fact, to consider that we have an idea what abnormal is. So are people falling apart at the seams? There is a number of people who were living in the illusion of being successful in a particular reality who are no longer able to live in that reality. Those people are falling apart at the seams. There are also a number of people who are galvanizing themselves. This is a group that is, it's undeniable, a group of people who would call the last year and a half the best year and a half that they've ever had, a whole group of people True. like that has never been this good and that they're galvanizing. Maybe they're losing family members either, you know, really for real or in ideological concerns, or maybe they're losing or changing friends, but there's a, there's a fostering of some sort of groundedness in a group of people. So there's a counterbalancing force of people who are really finding themselves ultimately in the urgency of what's going on in the present vulnerability. I love the way you stated that. That is so true in my own observation as well, looking around me and well, even I think even with myself to a large extent. But let's look at this notion of normal versus not normal when people, um, when, we, when we're confronted with someone who is maybe ranting or singing or dancing in the middle of the day in the street next to a, you know, a tent that they've quickly constructed or off their sleeping oh. bag, and the feeling in us where we can actually become ruffled and even resentful. Yeah. So let's talk about where that resentment in us is coming from in this wow. whole notion of the trade-offs. Wow. Well, that's a really thoughtful question. I appreciate it. And really, you know, when the question is, if you could, would you dance in the streets next to a tent that you reconstructed in order to live there? I know for me, when I, like tomorrow, in fact, I'm going, unfortunately, to visit a friend of mine who's in the hospital. It's maybe not unfortunate. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. And on the way down there, which is seven hour drive, the consideration was, no kidding, that we would bring our tent and stay in a tent. Because that's what we're going to do. Because that, because why wouldn't we do that? It sounds absolutely <laughs> yeah. glorious. Yeah. So staying in a tent in and of itself is not inherently something that represents like abnormality or, or malfunctioning. 
Well, not for the millions of campers around the world and backpackers. That's right, right, exactly. And if I could, on the moments that I feel like dancing, singing, or ranting, I wish I could do that. I wish I could go out and actually scream from the mountains the things that bother me. I wish that I really could dance in the streets when I'm feeling the ecstasy of what it means to be alive in a miracle. There is a self-expression there that is actually extraordinary. Now, you look at the other thing which you're just saying, which is the interface between us who are living in the illusion of self-protection and really the illusion of some degree of safety and security that feel that when walking by those who don't have all the things that we wish that they we think they should wish they had, that we're a danger to them, that we're not strong enough to protect ourselves, that we can't have a conversation, that the chasm is so deep that we're going to be like, you know, that our safety is is going to be um, challenged. And I, you know, it's, I, I know that feeling, especially if I'm wearing a really nice suit, especially if I'm wearing shiny shoes, you know, especially if I drove my nice car, there's something like, oh, and maybe in fact, when you think about it, Meredith, maybe there's a piece of this that has me be sort of mm, ashamed or blaming myself for pretending to have a life that's very much different than this other life. And for, you know, sort of like flaunting it and knowing that if we were them, we would be mad at us. Right. (laughs) I really felt the power in what you were saying about you wish you could go to the mountaintop and either rage or sing. I think people listening to that could all feel that inside themselves. Um, The repression, the political correctness, the inability to even speak your point of view anymore without literally being attacked maybe by a family member or cast into them, right? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is everywhere. It's like a bifurcated reality, bifurcated mm-hmm. consciousness, and us and them. Right. And so, yeah. And so one of the things you spoke about in the article, and you said, now this is far out and outrageous, but just think about it, is what would it take to unite human beings who are essentially far more similar than dissimilar? If you strip everything away beyond DNA, we're far more similar. And what would it take? So what did you come up with and why? All right. Well, if you're going to ask me directly, then I'll flip the switch on this one. So what we came up with, what I came up with was the idea that if the actual earth itself was threatened and and more than global warming and more than a pandemic, I'm saying like, like fully threatened, like here comes a meteor or maybe even more in particular with respect to the uh, article, a Martian invasion that we were aware of, that we knew was coming, that it was the end of the earth if we didn't unite. Like, could it be that if all 7.8 billion of us and the entire globe was truly challenged by a Martian invasion that we were made aware of, for which we all agreed was indeed coming, would we be able to work together? Would we be able to get to bring our forces together Wouldn't it be that if, in other words, it's almost like the, um, oh, what is that? Uh, The winning, uh, you know, you know, the, uh, the game, the game, game theory, game theory, game theory. Okay. Like in this case, it's like, would we be able to drop our differences and actually work for saving the earth? Because if we didn't, the earth would end. What would we do if both teams would lose, if we didn't galvanize? 
And that was really the question. And I really, as I came up in the article, you know, the idea of, wow, can you imagine 7.8 billion people being on the same page, actually pointing in the same directions? Pity, pity, pity those Martians because we'd take them out. We're powerful if that would ever happen. In the reality, you're right. Global climate change and a pandemic didn't change that whatsoever. It only seemed to divide us further. Exactly. And it's funny you should say that. When I was reading the article, I was remembering a, a comment that was made. You can find it on YouTube by Ronald Reagan about it was going to take an alien threat to mm -hmm. bring humanity together. Well, that's when he was looking for money for the strategic defense. Uh, what is it? defense initiative for yeah, SDI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was politically motivated, but that's the exact analogy he used. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. You came to the conclusion that even under such a threat, it was unlikely that we would mm. come together. Why? Well, I just, I wasn't necessarily that I was concluded that, but even as tears well up when you say it now, I, you know, you can only hope so can only hope that something like that could be enough to bring us together. It's possible that it wouldn't. And, you know, it's like, wow, humanity, it's more important to be separated and to be right than it is to actually keep us whole. It's just outstanding. It's an outstanding sociological phenomenon. It really is. Um, recently, I watched a, a an after-school S-K-O-O-L YouTube video, the ones that do that wonderful animation and storytelling, uh -huh. beautiful storytelling called Mass Psychosis. Mm. And the punchline to it was that the systems in place are going to go their direction and we really can't, we, we as humans can't really stop them. But what we can do, which speaks to what you're doing, is we can create parallel societies one in which we recognize each other and we help one another, let the institutions and markets do what they want, but where we as human beings come and create this parallel structure. Let's talk about the notion of that and what you're doing with your work to help create that. Well, when we're, when we're looking at parallel structures, thank you for asking this great question. When we're looking at, at parallel structures, this is, this is one of the things. Another article that I wrote that I'll be able to provide if you're interested is... Um, and this one for the same conference actually this last year, which didn't win the best award, but it was still a great article. It was, how do we know we know what we know? And in that article, what we really looked at was, you know, we're pretty good at being able to respect, like, you know, can we agree to disagree? There are some topics we agree to disagree on and we feel self-righteous about our ability to do so. Then there are some topics where somebody else is saying something and we actually know that they're wrong. I mean, we actually know that they're completely lost, but we're giving them the smile as if they should know that we actually respect the way they think when in reality we don't respect at all what they think, but we're pretending to respect what they think. But we already know, we almost feel sorry for them because they still feel whatever they feel and it's so different than what we feel that we're pretty sure that they're wrong. 
and we already have kind of disrespected them as as as, as someone on parallel with us. It's like it's too bad that they're deficient in their way of thinking. We actually all carry that. But then there's the next group. And the next group is the ones who, like when people, like the stuff I really know that I know, there's stuff that I really know that I know. And if you actually think something different than me about that, I'll just disregard you entirely. I, I would, in fact, I will disregard everything about you. Like, all things, how you manage everything, what you eat, what who you are with your kids, where you live, what you do for a living, all of like if you can believe that, I have zero respect for any of total rejection. Total rejection. Now, when we look at the parallel, and this is the challenge of the Welcome to Humanity brand and the challenge really of all of humanity, which is is it possible, is it possible to be in the same space with someone with completely, like completely adversarial, totally juxtaposed positions, like totally juxtaposed position on a particular topic and still be able to share some degree of human, not even some degree, like a, like a, uh, a proper degree of human respect for that divine being over there. Even by the way, those people. Eat, like the ones you're already thinking of? Well, yeah, everyone but those guys. No, them too. Can you put them? No, really, like even those. The ones you know that are just terribly wrong, those too. Can we do that? And that's really the question on the line. And that's what my whole life is now committed to, at least exploring. What else am I going to do, Meredith? So let's talk about the secret to that. So you're sitting with someone, how would you, as a professional who has made this his life's passion, begin creating that kind of cooperative and creative, uh, compassionate relationship with someone who is totally your opposite philosophically and otherwise? How would you do that? This is a little primer for us to, to work with and right. taking this on as a personal challenge even. Right. So I don't have an easy answer for that. The, the truth is the triggers are here with me. I do not have this entirely figured out. And there are people on this planet that I just simply absolutely have complete and total disrespect for. That's <laughs> me. I'm a human. I totally get sure it. We all do. It's just, yeah. it's just the way it is. I don't, I don't want to see them. And I don't really care if I ever even hear the, anything they have to say ever again. I'm, that's just human. But what can I do with that? I can recognize that that's my impulse with that particular person. And there really is a person there who has given everything they have about how they got to be whoever they got to be, is walking through the world with whatever they have to say about whatever they have to say, even if it's absolutely 100% diametrically opposed to what it is that I think about anything. Can I be adult enough? Can I be divine enough? Can I be man enough? Can I be human enough to actually respect that as being just another challenge in my life to take on loving, respecting, honoring, accepting, forgiving, all those high vibrational possibilities can I do that? And if I don't do it, can I bring myself back to challenging myself again to doing it anyways? Here's my theory, Meredith, that if I'm able to do that with that person, that is my only shot ever of the possibility of creating that possibility for that person to do it with me and everyone else. If I can actually model that in their presence, 
then maybe, just maybe, their likelihood or the possibility of being able to interact with somebody using that as a premise will leak over there to them and perhaps I'll leave a possibility that they too can accept me and people who think diametrically opposed to them. What about this element too? The notion that you question and dig deeply enough till you can find sort of a common human theme in both of you and then maybe build and explore from there, even that's if it great. does become a little contentious. Right. No, that's great. And, and we, the truth is we don't have to build too far. You see, we're both breathing from the same fish tank. That's yeah. all we have to really get. Yeah, we have uh, kids and parents. Every one of us, we have parents. Every single, every, every child, every Every person on earth had parents. I, I, at least I think so. I mean, you know, <laughs> that, I'm pretty sure. And, and so there are commonalities. Each one of us breathes. Each one of us sees or, you know, sees even with our eyes or whatever we're seeing if we happen to be blind or what, in the dark. There's an, there, there are things that are common. We think. We carry on. You know, we carry on with others. We eat. You know, there are things like, could, could we break bread? You know, the, I, I, there are some really beautiful examples in time of adversarials. You know, I was in Jerusalem not so long ago, sitting on the steps one Saturday morning, it's just Shabbat in Jerusalem. And it was, it was really one of the more astound, astonishing moments of my life. As I saw, there was hundreds of people from multiple different nationalities who were peacefully managing each other while their cultures were actually at war with each other like six miles away. Like, you know, it was like, well, look at this. It was, and in fact, if I have to say so, and I've never really noticed before, I think it was that experience that actually inspired the Global Madness article. I love it. Okay, so welcome to humanity. Let's talk about the way you're in which you're trying to transform how we view mental illness and then maybe give us a couple of examples from other countries such as Norway, Australia, Israel, where they're managing this in a little more progressive way. <laughs> well, it, yeah, the, so, you know, one of the ways I think we already talked about it, one of the ways that we were lo really looking at transforming the narrative of mental illness is this idea that we don't really know what mental illness is that it the, we really don't. Now, for our listeners and our viewers, I really I have to underline this because it's so important. Some people might think that I'm diminishing the pain and suffering, the, the uh, misery that they might be experiencing with life. And I absolutely positively am not diminishing or calling that anything less than exactly that. It is that, it is at least that, and it is, it is, it can be really destructive and overwhelming. It's very real, it's part of humanity, and it's real. And yours in one, any given time might be way worse than somebody else's or may, way more difficult. So this is not diminishing any of that. But what we can really get is that with by transforming the narrative and getting that that's humanity, I start off like I'm looking at you actually across the screen, eye to eye rather than in the power gradient of like me with something to, that you wish you had, like a power gradient of doctor patient or something like that. We start going with, no, I meet you as a human. We are both human. So me and the homeless dude coming out of the tent and me and the guy with the, you know, $10 million home in Beverly Hills are just the same. We're, we're, there's nothing, there's no one less normal or more normal than the three of us. 
And we really begin there. And in transforming that narrative, in exploring the possibility that all that's happening, all that's happening in this life of ours is humanity, that's it. And that we share that common essence, the possibility of starting from there and listening to what's being said, what's being told, what's the story. I have seen so many people who once they are gotten, once they are heard for what it is that matters to them, their whole life changes. I worked in some prisons. I worked in, in Folsom, uh, Folsom State and I worked in Pelican Bay. And these people are the most non, I'm talking about the prisoners, are the most non-pretentious people in the world. They're just straight up. They are just straight up incredibly beautiful in my way of thinking. And what's here is to be with them, be with anyone really, uh, without all the, all the noise that I have that you're less than or more than or scarier or all that, and really just get what, just shoot for it anyways, uh, to be on even keel with them. So that's the essence of transforming the narrative, is by really, really taking away the notion that illness or that mental illness is an inherent entity. Now you mentioned other countries and Global Madness, the documentary that was put somewhat to a halt uh, with the, uh, with the uh, COVID outbreak, it, it was geared towards going to multiple different countries. I used to think that I would be the Anthony Bourdain of mental illness and I would go to each and every country and explore different ways that mental illness had been established and how had it been defined and how is it being treated? You mentioned a few different places, um, you know, in, in, I think it's Rwanda, it might be Zimbabwe, I forgot, I'm sorry. It's, there was a, there was a, what they do is there was an orange um, picnic bench that, that a grandma would sit on and, you know, so an, an elder woman would sit on, uh, one who had been a grandmother and when someone was having some kind of troubles, they would go and sit with her and talk with her. And that's all they would have to do. And they would walk away cured, period. They would just walk away and whatever was troubling them was gone. And that was the function. That was the mental illness treatment of this particular community. They don't have psychiatrists. And frankly, psychiatrists and medication don't actually really cure very many illnesses anyways. They're not even intended to cure. They're intended to slow down the deterioration. And they barely do that. So... But cure isn't what we're after in the mental illness world in, in America. So would you say that sitting with the elder woman was because she had the heart and exactly. the ear to hear them? That's exactly right. I guess I didn't make that clear. But yes, that's exactly right. They got gotten. She would ask them the question. She would be with them. She would hear what it was that mattered to them, what it was that was imbalanced, it was un, unbalanced, what it was that was affecting them. And they would walk away anew. They would walk away re renewed. Oh, that, you know, for that is so powerful because <laughs> in reality, I've said this before. My husband started picking it up. I said, everyone's talking, but no one's listening. Exactly. Our world is such that everyone is projecting and talking and just screaming to be heard. Exactly. While the other person is just waiting for them to finish up so they can say what they want to say. Exactly. And the whole notion of listening to one another 
is almost a lost art unless you go to some faraway retreat for 10 days or something. Right. And even it, in those retreats, sometimes they're silent because they even shut those down so that the only person you're listening to in those situations is yourself. And that's, yes, uh, <laughs> it's also true. And that's hard enough to listen to ourselves, by the way. And yeah, so there's the, the radical, authentic listening that could, in fact, be what's here at the source of all healing. People just want to be heard. Absolutely. 7.8 billion people, that's what they want. In yeah, they want to be seen for who they are. Exactly. They want to be, They want you to accept them that they're, whatever it is, is this is who I am. Is that okay? Yeah. It's so yeah, simple. Yeah. It is simple, right? And some of us, you know, you and I included, we can call ourselves privileged, indeed we are. And there's something like, well, we have insulated ourselves by going up pathways for which there is a protective mechanism that how we became who we became has a whole community and a society that will generally take care of us being who we are. Some of those situations are not exactly true for other people. You know, they're living in places where they're natural or where they've been determined to be outcast. And life is a lot rougher for them to move right in. And you start getting, which I got with, you know, yesterday at the at the residence home. And sometimes when I walk by those tents, um, I'm only... I'm really seriously, absolutely only a half inch from being that. I'm, you know, at any given moment, boom, boom, boom. I wake up and that's how that's going all of a sudden. And we should, it's like, I'm not like equipped better to manage myself or worse. It's just that that's, that's the way it is. In Australia, you had mentioned Australia. There's one, there's this thing called, um, it's on the, I think it's on the east edge, the southeast edge of Australia. There's a man there who does surf therapy. And what you, the people from all over Australia, New Zealand, Tanz, uh, Tasmania, they go there and then they, he, sp he spends three days with them teaching them how to surf and like really what it is to be on the surf, the Australian surf, and they walk away. They're absolutely cured all the time. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And then, of course, there's dolphin therapy, equine therapy. It yes. seems that nature and animals do have that way of bringing something out in us. Nature itself, which we're so disconnected from, at least if you're homeless, you're more connected to nature. You're getting some vitamin D. You're out there in fresh air. Exactly. No, that's really true. You know, we uh, you, you start talking about nature. I've done a couple vision quests and in the vision quest, we really get I really got out there alone with, you know, the butterflies, the horse flies, the dragonflies and, you know, and then the bear that lived over there or the, the flowers or the logs or the sun or the moon and the multiple stars, you know, the the to see the world for what it really is rather than the myopic view of what i have now been programmed to believe is really important um you know i spend all my day i'm sure you do just staring at this screen like i'm staring at a pixelated screen and and living in the illusion that i'm actually doing something and in truth all i'm really doing is sitting on my butt staring at a pixelated screen and actually talking to it and there, you know there's something so strange about that when in life the earth doesn't really care about the politics or the situation. It's going to be fine. Yours is going to be fine. And there's like, um, when you get in touch with that, there's some beautiful um, resetting that can go on. I, you mentioned animals. I can't, I can't go very far without talking about the fact that I have three cats. And my cats, Desposito, Valentino, and Winston, <laughs> 
just bring me so much joy and renewal all the time, every day, never not, never not. I just see them. I'm like, dude, you are, you are just hilarious. You are so on and they just are chill all the time. And, you know, or except when they're, you know, not and when they're not, it's kind of whether they're chasing a fly or whatever they're doing. They're just so beautiful. And I really I, the seeing the world through access of animals can really be a source of joy and ecstasy. Absolutely. Unguarded, unpretentious, just they are what they are, just like you were speaking of when you spent time with the prisoners completely unpretentious and unguarded in what they shared with you. And those are powerful stories. Thank and you. again, storytelling is a big part of what you're doing. And are you going to be able to pick up the filming of the documentary series? Well, I sure hope so. You know, life, life goes on. There's, uh, there's different ways to do this. I'm now even considering doing it virtually. We, I, I picked up a team recently who's ready to restart the Global Madness series. Fabulous. It would be pretty fun to just go out there and actually connect with the same people and bring forth. What we'd be doing is really, more often than not, I think what we would be doing is uh, really bringing forth the multiple definitions of this notion of mental illness. And when any one word has multiple definitions, it means that it doesn't have a singular definition. And if it doesn't have a singular definition, it turns out that it doesn't really even exist. And if it doesn't really, if it's just culturally specific, then we should know it like that. A broken arm is a broken arm in Zambia. It's a broken arm in Tokyo. It's a broken arm in Little Rock. It's a broken arm. It, it's what it is. It's just a broken arm. It's, there's no place where a broken arm isn't broken. Mental illness doesn't live like that. Mental illness, even in this city, is different than what mental illness is in the neighboring city, let alone the neighboring country, let alone the neighboring continent. So we start looking at if there is no true definition of mental illness, and there isn't, there is no true one because we don't even know what normal is after all, then we can start at least taking steps towards considering all of humanity as one. And maybe 7.8 billion of us can at least be, can at least consider the possibility of coming together should in fact there be an attack from another planet. <laughs> well, until then, we can at least start when we get in the next argument with somebody, yeah. knowing that what you just talked about a little bit ago, every one of us just wants to be seen and felt and heard and accepted for who we are. I mean, in the end, that's what it's all about. And in the middle of a, a screaming match or whatever, if we just could stop for a minute and say, look, this, I just want you to accept me for this, that vulnerability, I think, could go a long way toward mending fences between people. I mean, it could. Yeah, it, yeah could. it could. It could. Any final thoughts before we, I thank you at the end of your, your conference day for taking time to do this. I know you've been really booked. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Well, I just think that, you know, what's really important is here is that when you're not doing it, like when you're triggered, when that person shows up in your life, maybe it's your sister-in-law, maybe it's that particular uh, teacher or that particular, uh, you know, politician or that particular what when that person shows up in your circle and you're just like, man, I hate that or I can't stand that or I'm not going to listen or I don't care. What's really important here is to have compassion and forgiveness for yourself. It's like when you get, well, I got what Dr. Fred's saying, but I'm not doing it here. And it's like, be okay with all that you're doing because all of it, including having trouble with other folks is part of being a human. 
this whole game that we're in called one lifetime or called, you know, between now and when they, mm, they bury us or whatever is going to happen at the last day is one for which each and every experience, each and every experience could be embraceable. Everyone, including the ultimate painful ones and the beautiful ecstatic ones. And really noticing that being a human allows for the entire smorgasbord of all experiences, including the ones that have you naturally not accepting another person. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay that they do that. I mean, we're all humans and there's a possibility of living a life that is maybe a slight upgrade from that. And be kinder yourself because being kind to yourself is the best way to be, to show others that kindness is available. Here, here. I've loved talking with you. Everything you say, I think is probably sinking in on a pretty deep level with all of us here. And uh, I really, I love what you're doing. Um, we're all human, you know, welcome to humanity. I love it. And then what did you say the name of that article was? How, did, how, you, how do you know what you know? Oh uh, yeah, how do you know you know what you know? But there's a couple other uh, things that I'll give. Uh, I'll give our listeners a copy of my uh, PDF uh, ebook, which is uh, the Creative Eight: um, uh, Healing Through Creativity and Self-Expression. This is just an opportunity to look at, uh, you know, art, music, dancing, singing, drama, and others as ways of managing uh, discomfort in the world. And then there's another book that I'm coming out with. It's not quite ready, but I'm really excited about. Out with uh, that has me be the uh, you know have ha helping people bring their voice out to the world and uh, that's just fun so the article how do you know you know what you know I'll give that to you as well and that'll be waiting on the on the front edge for any of your listeners. Fabulous. Okay, Dr. Fred, what's your URL? Where can everyone get this stuff? The best way to get a hold of me is uh, it, getting a hold of me would be Dr. Fred at welcome to humanity.net. And if you wanted to check out my, um, my webpage, it's again, going through construction. And I think it's gonna maybe even change its name, but it won't change how to find me. The welcome to humanity podcast is the podcast I have. I love that podcast. And we've had a uh, number of very powerful um, guests, and maybe you can have you as a guest, Meredith, and sometime soon. And uh, really, uh, uh, it's the welcometohumanity.net uh, website that's the best space to find me right now. And again, it's going through upgrade, but depending on when you hear this, uh, uh, that's the best way to find me. Very good. Thank you so much, Fred, for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot of people pass through there and download those PDFs. Thank, Thank you. you. Really appreciate it. Just right. delightful. Thank you. Okay, you heard it. Welcome to humanity.net. You can find everything that Fred talked about there, past work and Dr. Fred's upcoming work. So until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. <laughs>